Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week. Thank you. We appreciate it. And hope you had a good weekend. We know that uh, for several parts of the country, it was not a good weekend weather-wise. Some very severe weather. We're going to talk about that with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson on the program today and get his forecast for the week ahead and the rest of July. We talk a lot about events that are being canceled or have been canceled. Well, one major event that is still on for this summer is the Missouri State Fair. We will talk with Missouri State Fair Director Mark Wolf about plans to go ahead and have the fair, what changes they've had to make, what accommodations they're making in light of uh, the uh, COVID-19 situation. And uh, we'll get a complete update on this year's Missouri State Fair, still scheduled for August 13th through the 23rd in Sedalia, Missouri. And we'll get another Kansas wheat harvest update today. We'll check back in with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. All that coming up on today's show as we kick off this week. We're going to kick the show off today, though, with Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, good to talk with you again. How have you been? Oh, you know, I've been good, Mike. Just uh, sitting here uh, living my summer through the through the D.C. humidity. It is out in full force. So a little fewer tourists this summer, but uh, still the same amount of, uh, of heat and misery in the weather. Yeah, plenty of humidity out there for sure and, uh, and other parts of the country as well. Uh, what about the... What's going on in Congress as they look at some different things as far as the next, perhaps, uh, COVID assistance package? What might be in it for agriculture? So some of the things that we're watching in particular is what what they plan to do in terms of uh, adding additional funding for the Commodity Credit Corporation to potentially fund uh, more aid for producers uh, for market impacts that happened after that April 15th uh, cutoff that the Department of Agriculture put in the original CFAT program. Uh, we did hear from uh, Undersecretary Bill Mowardy here uh, toward the tail end of last week that he thinks there should be enough money to uh, no longer prorate the payments under that first program, but uh, if they're going to be looking to do something additional, they do have that $14 billion in CCC funding that they can work with, but going to be looking for some additional uh, language from Congress on that. And then there's a bit of a showdown happening between House Ed Committee Chair Colin Peterson and Senate Ed Committee Chair Pat Roberts uh, in that Peterson would like, uh, if there's going to be more CCC money, he's looking for some guardrails on it in terms of what uh, Congress can, what input Congress can have on some of this funding in terms of how these, these checks are issued to producers. But uh, Roberts is saying that he thinks that might slow the process down a little bit and that uh, would hinder the ability to get that aid quickly out to farm country. And so that's definitely something we're going to be watching in in terms of some of the broader issues outside of agriculture. Obviously, things like business liability going to be a big thing, uh, including uh, things like unemployment. A a lot of things are going to be on the table, and, and we are expecting everything we're hearing says the Senate is going to take up some form of a relief process here before they call it uh, before they call it a month at the beginning of August. Yeah, I guess that's really kind of the next deadline, right? Their August recess. Right, and uh, you know, originally before you know before the coronavirus happened, this week that we're sitting in right now was actually going to be the Democratic National Convention, and so there was going to be sort of a, a bit of a slowdown planned in the calendar, anyways. 
And so we don't see the Senate in town this week. The House is working on some appropriations measures. So uh, a lot of the work that's happening right now is sort of the the behind the the scenes uh, staff level negotiations that might go into a bill. Meanwhile, last week we got an announcement of several more commodities being included in CFAP. Others still trying to make the case to get in. Uh, They're going to be stretching that money pretty thin. Right, and there's a lot of commun- I mean, there were a lot of commodities left out of the original program, and, and USDA was pretty clear when they said, "Hey, we know there might be some commodities that we missed. If if you've got data to back up your case, by all means, send it along to us." And so we did see a lot of things that kind of in the way of specialty crops, a lot of fruits and vegetables and, and herbs, uh, apples and potatoes, kind of leading the way in terms of commodities that have uh, really been vocal about their desire to be included. Uh, we did not see uh, a few forms of wheat uh, that we're looking to get included. And from what I'm told, a lot of that has to do with a uh, spike in the futures price, price that was driven by some panic buying. And, of course, the, the wheat producer organizations are making the, the case that you know, that spike in the futures price doesn't necessarily equate to dollars uh, in producers' pockets. And so their efforts are going to continue to be ongoing, especially as USDA and Congress work on another potential aid package. And even as uh, China made big purchases at the end of last week, there's still a lot of concern about the Phase 1 trade deal and, and, and a lot of skepticism, skepticism of there being a Phase 2 trade deal. Right, and, and to your point on Phase 1, I mean, we knew when, when the summit deal was announced that, that $40 billion in, in annual ag purchases that they agreed to, that's a big number, and that, that's a lot bigger than what they had done previously. And so we knew that was going to be an uphill battle to get to that number. Um, China is making some purchases of, of both old crop and new crop, uh, corn and soybeans, as well as some other commodities. So the, the, the effort on the purchases is there. Whether or not that's going to uh, lead to the total amount, uh, ask me on December 31st, and sure it will be a lot smarter then. But to, to the point on phase two, President Donald Trump uh, offered some comments uh, last week basically saying he's not even thinking about that right now uh, with, with other things that are going on. He said that, Coronavirus has really frayed the relationship between the two countries, and so uh, that's that's something to to watch because you know originally it was going to be a, a big comprehensive deal, then it broke down into something they were going to need to do by phases. Well, now the phase two deal sounds like it's not really going to be in the works anytime soon. Yeah, it makes you wonder, given all the talk that's going on, just how close they're going to get to these phase one levels. But you know, those purchases last week. Uh, were were significant for sure, right? Significant and, and something to watch too in that how they're breaking down these purchases as well. Uh, obviously, the the new crop year for corn and soybeans is going to start in September, and a big, big, big portion of that purchase on on corn that China did last week was for new crop, just under half of it. And so they are making plans to purchase a lot of commodities, sort of in that uh, sort of in the tail end of 2020, and so. They do have the potential to get there. I mean, obviously, China uh, makes its own decisions, and they've got a lot of money. They could decide that they're just going to go gangbusters on American commodities. But a lot of things are going to have to happen. A lot of boats are going to have to get on the water. And importantly, a lot of uh, port workers are going to have to get back to work uh, as, as they work to kind of clear out some of these commodities, even in the midst of the coronavirus. Yeah, there are a lot of layers to this, and the, the COVID-19, still, that cloud still hangs over all this, that's for sure. All right, Spencer, good to talk with you again. Take care, and uh, we will talk again soon. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Mike. All right. Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications, an update from 
Washington, D.C., as uh, we see what Congress can get done between now and their August recess as far as any more assistance, COVID-19 related assistance. And of course, we'll be keeping a close watch on what would be in there for agriculture. A little bit later on in our program, an update on the Missouri State Fair still scheduled to run August 13th through the 23rd. We'll find out what changes they'll have to make in order to have the fair. We'll talk with their fair director a little bit later on. But up next, Bryce Anderson, DTM meteorologist, will review some of the severe weather over the weekend and what lies ahead for this coming week. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, a rough weekend for some parts of the country, some severe weather. Well, there was severe weather, Mike, uh, with uh, some uh, strong winds and hail along with thunderstorms in parts of the um, Western and the Central Midwest, along with the Southern Plains, uh, there was uh, some crop that got um, that got pushed uh, down, and there may have been some hail damage as well. But uh, there's also a very key component in uh, that uh, storm package, and that is that there was a swath of moderate to heavy rain that occurred from about Central Minnesota southeast to the Ohio Valley, and um, rainfall occurred in. A, uh, a very dry area of the eastern Midwest, particularly in Indiana, and uh, allowed uh, for an improvement in crop moisture for pollinating corn. And along with that, the temperatures kind of backed away from a uh, real stressful uh, level in terms of uh, the heat component. And so uh, there was uh, both the um, benefit and then uh, some damage along with that. But the uh, the moisture is certainly useful right now for that uh, corn crop. Yeah, it's that two-edged sword. You a lot of places needing that moisture, but boy, the the damage, the wind and the hail in some places. Have we seen those reports of corn down and a lot of damage done? Well, yeah, I mean that you know that's summertime. Uh, summer in the Midwest, uh, the thunderstorms uh, were in part the result of uh, a real contrast uh, with that very hot bubble of air over the southwestern plains that has just kind of dried everything out, and will continue to do so. But uh, then we've got these uh, short waves and cooler air moving through the uh, northern plains, northern Midwest, and then southeast toward the Ohio Valley at the edge of that high. And it's that uh, contrast that has helped to uh, generate the the uplift, the convection, the thunderstorm activity, and along with that, uh, with these you know real tall cloud tops, uh, fifty thousand foot uh, storm tops, there's going to be a lot of activity going on, a lot of uh, violent winds, and um, so there's going to be that component. It's not just a real mild rainfall. We know that, but like I say, that's been a very typical uh, summer type occurrence that we saw during the past weekend. Yeah, you mentioned the wind. Some of those wind speeds, wind gusts, were really, really high. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, 80 mile an hour plus winds when you get the, the thunderstorms occurring uh, with that kind of a, a collision in terms of air masses. Uh, there's 
you know, there's uh, going to be that that sort of uh, disruptive uh, uh, situation that happens. Uh, so it's it's uh, definitely a, a major uh, feature along with that. The thing that's impressive to me, though, is that the rainfall amounts were not just um, a a real scattered event. I mean, we've had uh, occurrences where it's been dry in the Midwest, and uh, where rainfall occurs, you get you know one location having uh, well over an inch of rain, and then another place that's not very far away having almost nothing. There was a pretty big swath, like I say, from about St. Cloud, Minnesota, southeast of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, where the uh, rain indications uh, have been uh, quite uh, uniform and fairly uh, fairly widespread. So that tells me that uh, there was uh, that kind of occurrence that uh, has been very useful. I mean, there was, you know, there, there was frankly some... Uh, very justifiable concern about a week ago regarding how things were going to play out, and uh, there was a, a big change in fortunes over the last, uh, what, 36 to 48 hours. Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, what's uh, what's ahead for this week? Well, you know, this, uh, this pattern that we're in is probably going to stay with us throughout the uh, remainder of the month because there's that real hot, dry, upper-level ridge of high pressure out over the southwestern plains. It's kind of smothering most of Texas today, and it extends all the way into the desert southwest and then the Great Basin. And uh, there's some of that heat starting to make its way into the Gulf Coast also. And then at the edge of that high, uh, there's the, uh, there's the uh, kind of a track for uh, periods of uh, upper-level short waves to move southeastward out of the Canadian prairies and the northern Rockies, uh, where there's a pretty uh, notable uh, cool trough from about uh, northern Alberta, Canada, south to southern Montana. Uh, Those uh, little short waves are working south and east along the edge of that ridge. They're allowing for these storms to fire up. We're seeing some of that today in uh, central and southern Oklahoma, a few showers in parts of North Dakota, and uh, then some, you know, kind of scattered occurrences in parts of the Rockies. Um, so, you know, these, uh, uh, these uh, short waves allow for those storms to fire up, bring the rainfall, but along with that, and I cannot emphasize this enough, The occurrences of those uh, shower and storm developments are also keeping temperatures in the Midwest from uh, getting back to the real, real hot levels. And, you know, you cannot discount uh, the importance of that temperature pattern uh, in this particular time because that's going to be better for uh, that uh, whole pollination process to be able to be more efficient with uh, the chance for more kernel placement at the tip of the uh, the ear and uh, allow for the, you know, a little bit higher percentage of uh, that whole process to take place. What are, you, what are you looking long term as far as last half of July and into August? Uh, I think the, the pattern we have is going to stay with us uh, throughout the uh, remainder of the month. Um, as we get farther into the summer and you know, we are past the solstice now. We're getting close to, what, three and a half weeks or so uh, from the summer solstice. So the daylight length is starting to decrease a little bit instead of increase. 
Uh, the farther we get away from that uh, solstice time frame, the, the less of a chance there is for these upper level highs to truly set in and uh, last for a while. Um, when we've seen that happen over the Midwest, it's happened during June. And, uh, you know, obviously we're not seeing that now. That was the, you know, that was the prospect. Uh, that isn't uh, the case. And I think as we go through the balance of the month now, uh, the, the pattern that we have is going to be largely uh, the pattern that we will see uh, through the end of the month with that hot and dry situation in the southwestern plains and then the Midwest having maybe some periods of heat but not real long-lasting along with these prospects for shower and storm action to uh, develop. Yeah, it's hard to believe that we're this far along into the year already. I mean, I, I don't know if it's COVID-19 or what, but uh, the time schedule, at least in my mind, seems all out of whack. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's, there's uh, you know, that influence just because we've, uh, for at least uh, for me, I've kind of stayed in the same place. Uh, many, many, many people have. And uh, so because of that, it, uh, it may be as hard to uh, mark the passage of time and, and uh, get out to uh, see what's going on and, and kind of trade some of those notes back and forth that, that make us uh, recognize uh, some of the seasonal uh, progress of things. I took a drive yesterday uh, just outside of Omaha, not too far, and I was, uh, you know, I was kind of dazzled to see all the tassels that were out because the previous time that I had been out, uh, we had, you know, we had the crop uh, growing, but we did not have the tassels out. And yesterday, uh, there was a lot of uh, bright yellow on top of those uh, big green stalks. So that was a real reminder of where we are. Yeah. Also, that time of year, a lot of spraying to be done and getting done. And that, of course, you, they're working around the, those windy conditions. Well, very true, and uh, that's going to be a, an ongoing feature uh, with this, uh, you know, with this uh, kind of unsettled uh, situation. And my my guess is that uh, a lot of those operations uh, have a very early start in order to be able to uh, get that accomplished uh, during during all of the available uh, time periods, uh, not only for you know concern about drift, but just for concern about efficiency of those uh, products and so i my guess is like i say that uh, there's a lot of real early starts uh, that those crews and uh and producers uh are going to be involved with in order to get that taken care of yep we're seeing a lot of that for sure rice good to talk with you thanks a lot take care okay mike appreciate it thank you T- talk to you again next week dtm meteorologist bryce anderson Up next, we'll talk with the director of the Missouri State Fair. Yes, it is still on, scheduled for August 13th through the 23rd in Sedalia, Missouri. We'll talk with Missouri State Fair director Mark Wolf about their plans for this year's fair next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, summer 2020 is uh, certainly being noted in part for the number of big events being canceled due to COVID-19. But one of the big 
ag events that is still on the calendar for next month is the Missouri State Fair, August 13th through the 23rd, Sedalia, Missouri. Joining us now is Mark Wolf, Missouri State Fair Director. Mark, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. So everything's still on, right? You bet. Good morning, Mike. We uh, at this point in time, yes, we are we are moving full full speed ahead to uh, to produce and put on the 2020 Missouri State Fair. All right. So we a lot of big events. Other state fairs are being canceled. Farm Progress Show being canceled. A lot of those types of events. Why are you able to go ahead and have your fair? Well, you know, at this point, and I, I guess you know, I should point out everything's. Always- a fluid situation, uh, you know, involving uh, what's going on in the world with COVID-19. So, uh, you know, I guess I would say, you know, er- everything is still an option at this point. But um, under the uh, current direction of, uh, you know, the governor's office, we are we are planning to move forward with uh, the state fair as planned. Obviously, there are some changes uh, to what we're doing. Uh, a lot of folks probably heard a while back that we canceled our concert lineup. Um, you know, I would like to point out that the main reason for for doing that at that time was, uh, you know, when we made the decision to to do away with our our concert lineup, uh, it was we were under the understanding, and it was felt by all that um, you know social distancing and things like that would would still be mandatory uh, in August. Of course, this was a month and a half ago when we the decision was made, and in an effort to be you know fair with those folks, uh, we we decided to to step out of that, uh, work that out with with our entertainment, uh, give them an opportunity to look for work elsewhere. I uh, just felt like there was no way we could do that in our grandstand, uh, you know, with 11,000 potential people up there. So uh, made that decision at that time. Uh, we are going on with some other events uh, in the grandstand. Uh, they are general admission and generally have lower crowds where we feel like we can, you know, easily space folks out. So uh, we will be we will be hosting our tractor pools up there. Uh, we still will be doing rodeo and some of our other events at the State Fair Arena, uh, actually all those events at this time. And, um, you know, across the fairgrounds, there's going to be some things that's a little different. Uh, you know, we have had some vendors pull out and some folks that, you know, aren't comfortable with it, uh, with the situation, and others who are, are gung-ho to go forward. So we're working with uh, with the state on, on all this stuff, and obviously uh, we will follow whatever guidelines that they lay out for us, uh, you know, moving forward to, to put the fair on. So those conversations with health officials and, uh, and folks are, are, are ongoing, right? Uh, tell, give us an idea of, of those types of discussions and uh, who you're talking with and how often you're talking on this. Well, we, uh, we've been in conversation with uh, Dr. Williams' office and the folks of DHSS, uh, you know, having conversation about what the fair might look like, what, what's required, what's not. Uh, you know, at this time, you know, we don't have anything from them that says, you know, mask and social distancing is absolutely mandatory. Uh, obviously, they are recommended if somebody's in a situation where they feel it's crowded. Uh, you know, we would certainly expect that, you know, maybe the numbers won't be what they are at a normal fair, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, I think, uh, uh, you know, the, the term situational awareness has been used that folks need to make decisions for themselves, um, you know, meaning that if you're not comfortable with, uh, you know, p- potentially being around other people or in an in a area where it's a little crowded, then, uh, you know, you need to make that decision on your own whether or not you want to come in or not. So um, we're doing a lot of things on our end to, 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 to be prepared uh, if the fair goes forward, and that is, you know, highly involves uh, just the cleaning protocol that we do. We really plan on stepping that up. Uh, you know, high touch points around the fairgrounds. Uh, we are planning to move forward with the carnival at this time. Uh, they have a very good mitigation plan that has been submitted to the state on how they test uh, their folks uh, before they arrive. They, 
they uh, temperature check all their staff every morning when they come in. They all be masked. Uh, they will they will do regular cleaning on rides and things in between rides. So. Uh, everybody's working hard to be prepared to, you know, to really step up, uh, you know, the cleaning and sanitizing side of that on the fairgrounds as it goes along. We're talking with Missouri State Fair Director Mark Wolf. The Missouri State Fair is still on schedule for August 13th through the 23rd in Sedalia, Missouri. So you will not require people to coming to the fair to wear masks? At this point in time, no. Uh, as I said, that's obviously uh, subject to change and uh, I know that the governor's office, uh, you know, meets with the infectious doctors from uh, that team that he's put together that uh, from around the state. So we get constant updates from them. Uh, they are funneling that information uh, through the Department of Ag to us all the time. So uh, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's that, that decision is, will be made down there. But as it stands currently, uh, we do not have any mandate that says they are required. Uh, we will certainly offer that up as an option for folks, and um, you know we'll see where we go forward in the next month. Here, uh, you know, if that changes, then we'll make those adjustments and and uh, make sure that we can uh, you know either provide that equipment when people come in, or you know ask them to have that with them when they come in. You mentioned your vendors. Uh, tell us more about their reaction to the fair being on, and and the decision some of them may have made not to come. Well, we, you know, we've got a little bit of a mixed bag on that. Uh, we have a lot of folks that are that are very interested in coming and excited about coming. We've had some, uh, you know, that have decided to set this one out, uh, which is is perfectly okay, and we certainly understand that decision on their part. Um, you know, we would expect that our buildings will be a little thinner than, uh, you know, our vendor buildings will be a little thinner than they normally are, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It allows us to space things out a little more. So. Um, you know, as far as out on the grounds, the vendors that you see outside, most of those are returning, I think. I mean, we've had a few. Uh, we've had some downturn in camping a little bit. We've had some, uh, you know, some cancellations on that. And some of the folks have just basically said, hey, you know, we, we're, we're elderly in some cases. Uh, you know, we think we'll just set this one out this year. We'll be back and looking forward to 2021, and, and we certainly uh, understand that. Those are reserve sites, so they'll get to keep that reserve site in their name. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, we're, we're moving forward uh, with a plan to, uh, to put on this fair, and, and hopefully uh, everybody will, will be smart and be safe, and we can work with folks to make it as safe as possible, and everyone will be able to come out and, and help us celebrate agriculture. You mentioned the judging part of it. What will actually take place during the fair? Well, we are, you know, we're moving full steam ahead with our livestock events. Uh, had a lot of entries in already, and we're a little bit behind the eight ball on some of this. We uh, we got really got started pretty late getting our entry stuff out, waiting to see which direction we were going to go. But that's all up and running, and and have a, had a good response to that to this point. Uh, so all our livestock shows are, will be in play. Uh, we are not hosting our rabbit uh, show this year due to. Uh, to the virus that's in, in going around in that group at this point. So as a safety measure, I don't think it's really a problem in Missouri right now, but in an effort not to uh, risk that, uh, the state vets office has uh, asked us not to host that show. But other than that, the rest of them are going on. Um, and, uh, you know, at this point in time, I don't know of any other that, uh, as far as our livestock goes, that, that have uh, opted out. Mark, any changes as far as trying to keep people spread out as they're trying to get into the gates or anything like that? Well, you know, it's our intention to set up barricades and things at the gates to help keep people, you know, give them some direction on, on not gathering at the gates. Uh, you know, we have kind of odd at our state fair. We actually have a lot of different entry gates, which helps spread that out some. Uh, we're kind of surrounded with our camp or with our parking. So 
we have several several different gates. Our livestock folks come through different gates than the general fairgoer, and the general fairgoer can come through four different gates. So uh, there's a lot of options just depending on how the parking fills up. You know, so folks have the opportunity to to move around to different gates to come in, and then obviously our folks will be working at those gates. Uh, you know, with some barricade systems and things to uh, you know help people help keep people spread out. What has the reaction and response been from the folks you've talked to to your decision to go ahead and have the fair? Well, you know, I think it's been mixed. Uh, you know, we've had we've had a lot of folks, uh, you know, happy that we're moving forward with it. Uh, we've had some folks that aren't happy that we're moving forward with it. Uh, there again, I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a decision that folks need to make on their own, uh, whether they are comfortable with uh, being at the fair or not be, you know, or not being here. So, um, you know, we're going to do our best on our end to make it as safe for the folks that do come as we possibly can. Uh, you know, we're going to ask folks to, to be adults and make adult decisions, uh, you know, as far as their kids and family are concerned. And, uh, you know, we're going to do everything we can on our end to, to make it an enjoyable experience while trying to keep people safe. Obviously, one of the things we've learned through this is it is a fluid situation and things change really daily. Uh, do you have kind of a date in mind as far as, you know, we have to make a decision for sure. If we're going to pull the plug, it would have to be by this date to let everyone know. Or, or do you have a date like that in mind? Well, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's not a decision that we make here at the fairgrounds, obviously. But, um, you know, uh, the, the farther we go into it, the harder that decision to pull the plug is, because obviously you have, you know, our partners and folks that are that help put on the fair, uh, whether it's the Missouri Cattlemen and the Beef House or the pork producers and the, and the pork place or, you know, our vendors that travel in and, and the food that they purchase and things like that. So the longer we wait, uh, you know, if there's a decision not to do it, certainly it's a harder hit on folks, I think. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think those are the very people that, you know, are encouraging us to move forward, want to want to have the fair. And then we just need to, uh, you know, be be prudent in our decisions that, that we don't leave them hanging. And I think that's, you know, that's a concern that they have. But at the same time, I think those are the same folks that, you know, are excited about, you know, agriculture moving forward and the fair going on. So we'll. Uh, yeah. You know, we're we're in constant conversation with the folks in Jeff City, uh, and you know, we're we just react to to what they want us to do at this. You know, as we move along. Yeah, certainly challenges for them, like a food vendor, of knowing how much uh, product to order because you, you're not quite sure of the crowds that, that that may be coming. And I know in talking with you over the years, always lots of challenges in planning a fair, but uh, especially in a year like this. Yeah, this might be the one of the most challenging for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the unknowns uh, make it challenging, and so we'll, uh, you know, we we want to do we right. want to be as smart and safe as we can be. All right, Mark, thanks for the update. We'll stay in touch. We appreciate it. And remind everyone, the Missouri State Fair is still on August 13th through the 23rd, Sedalia, Missouri. Thanks a lot. Mark Wolf, Missouri State Fair Director. You're listening to AOA. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams and we get our weekly update on the kansas wheat harvest from kansas wheat ceo justin gilpin justin good to talk with you how was your weekend weather well it was pretty hot but we had a pretty good weekend overall uh it was a good good weekend to uh get things finishing up here on the tail end of Kansas wheat harvest. 
No severe weather, no uh, storms? Well, the storms have been pretty spotty in areas, and so it's, you know, as we're kind of winding things down, it's it's created a little bit of delays in some areas, but for the most part, uh, some of the storms have stayed more to the north and to the east. Uh, we're up in that northwest corner of Kansas, kind of in the northeast uh, Colorado, southwest Nebraska, where wheat harvest is really uh, underway, and and for the most part, uh, we've been able to avoid too much too much rain, and, and we're certainly at a point right now where our farmers aren't going to be complaining about storms coming through because it's been dry, and any bit of rain or storms that we get, as long as we miss out on the hail, is, is going to be welcomed. All right. Well, where are you now? How much of the harvest is done? Well, you know, we'll have the USDA report that comes out tonight. Uh, I would think we're going to be right around that 95% complete. Uh, we're up into that northeast or northwest corner, just finishing things up as the uh, harvest is winding down here in the southern plains and beginning to move up north into uh, going pretty steady in Nebraska and we'll be getting up into South Dakota. You know, we've seen a pretty gradual change in the crop, though, as far as overall how it was coming in with yield and, and quality uh, as harvest has progressed from from Texas, Oklahoma, up in through Kansas, and seeing the stressed areas that uh, in western Kansas, eastern Colorado, uh, with yield reports that are a lot less lower uh, than what we were seeing early on. Uh, and certainly as we get up the, into the, the South Dakota with the good crop conditions they have, things may start to improve a little bit. But, uh, you know, when you look at the overall uh, uh, hard red winter wheat crop, uh, as we're getting into those stressed areas, proteins are starting to increase a little bit. And so you're seeing the overall hardwood winter wheat to average uh, just this past week from a quality test standpoint. It went up from 11.2% up to 11.6%, and test weights uh, have dropped off uh, down now below 62 pounds, where they were uh, averaging around 62 or 63 pounds early on in, uh, in the wheat harvest, Mike. Yeah, it's been interesting as we talk with you each week to see how those numbers have moved as the harvest has gone across the state. You know, you and I, we've talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, knowing the value of your wheat when you have lower commodity prices like we've had, kind of uh, doing everything you can to maximize the value, knowing uh, the type of quality that you have and trying to find a market that will reward for that quality, both test weight and proteins. You know, protein premiums were pretty, pretty good. Uh, as we were uh, started off harvest through Texas, Oklahoma, they were having high yields and uh, a little bit lower than average te- uh, proteins. Uh, but now as we've gotten into uh, western Kansas, eastern Colorado, uh, those proteins, have, uh, instead of average around 11, you're seeing a lot more 12 and 13 percent type proteins coming in. That's really kind of pressured that protein market uh, right, right now anyway. Uh, and you've seen the milling basis really come in quite a bit and so uh, it's, it's important for producers to know both the uh, test weight and proteins if they can and, and try to find a market that will reward them for it uh, not everybody has that opportunity but uh, when when you have challenging prices like uh, like we have had uh, in wheat uh, it's important to do that but we did have a pretty good week overall for price for hard red winter wheat with some uh, some good news coming out with uh, some export sales to China and then we also uh, had some concerns of uh, globally with lower production, uh, all of those kind of combined into uh, winter wheat uh, prices uh, having having a positive positive week. So that that was encouraging. 
Justin, uh, the news came out late last week, more commodities being included in the coronavirus food assistance uh, program. But the uh, the request for some more types of wheat to be included, that, that has been, again, rejected so far. What's your reaction to that? Well, you know, we've, we've been trying to communicate as much as we can to uh, to our partners uh, in, in D.C. and, and trying to tell the, the story about uh, uh, winter wheat class being included uh, in that CFAT payment. You know, when you look at uh, that, that early metric that they use for determining the, the payment based off futures prices from uh, from mid-January to mid-April, uh, winter wheat prices did not have the decline that some of the other commodities had, and then specifically with spring wheat fell below that 5% threshold, which made them eligible. Um, when you look at the bigger picture for winter wheat, uh, unfortunately past that uh, April 15th deadline uh, ending point that they used for, for determining that payment, that's when uh, we saw declines in the winter wheat price that uh, would have made us uh, eligible uh, for the payment. So we're uh, doing our best to communicate that. It, it, it's a it's a challenging time. I know. Uh, I know that program is something that uh, it's going to be uh, sorely needed for the ag economy as a whole. So we're definitely not trying to uh, uh, deter any of the other payments that are that are being made and the support that's going out there to as a lifeline to uh, to a lot of the other ag sectors. Uh, but uh, doing our part to to communicate uh, hard red winter wheat uh, where we were at, but probably more so trying to position ourselves uh, telling that story for if there would be another program out this fall, uh, trying to make sure that uh, all classes of wheat and wheat producers uh, are uh, are part of that so that they are, the, the losses that they've incurred during, during these unprecedented times would be, uh, would be uh, made up at least uh, in a small portion. And quickly, how's your weather forecast look for this week uh, to, to kind of wrap up harvest? You know, we've got uh, pretty good weather here for the next 24 hours, uh, but there are chances of some storms popping up uh, coming through some of those, uh, that that northwest corner, southwest Nebraska area here uh, early in the week that uh, may may slow things down a little bit. Again, if we can just uh, miss the hail, uh, that'll be good. But, hey, Mike, I just want to make sure that I I tell you that I've enjoyed being able to share the updates from the Southern Plains Weed Harvest. Hope you and your listeners stay safe and Again, thanks for all that you do to communicate the story of U.S. agriculture, my friend. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you a lot, Justin. Really appreciate it. Justin Gilpin, Kansas Wheat CEO. That does it for today. Have a safe day, everyone. Join us tomorrow on AOA. AOA.